It's good to be here. Uh, thanks for the welcome. Uh, Ken didn't want me to tell you he come home because he was missing me. And uh, he was embarrassed about it. So I says, come on home, Ken, I'll make you a smash burger and we'll be all right. But uh, no, uh, it's good to be here. And we trust and we pray that the Lord will bless our time together. You know, I said it the last time and I'll say it again. There is nobody like Jesus. And I'm here today and I would never say anything like this unless I mean it and unless I know it's from the Lord. And I believe the Lord has something for every one of us today. And it's not because it's coming from me, it's because it's God. And before the Lord returns, the Bible says he will shake the nations. And I believe God is shaking the nations. I believe, if I'm going to be really, really honest with you, and I'm not a great Bible student, but I listened to some good Bible students. I sat under one of the greatest Bible teachers that you could ever sit under. I thank God for Pastor McConnell, and he was fantastic when it came to Bible prophecy. And one of the things he taught us was that God was about to shake the nations, and he is shaking them. But one of the things that we need to learn is the Bible teaches us to comfort one another. And though God is shaking the nations, I believe God will fill the church. But before he fills the church, he must fix the church. The church of Jesus Christ needs a mighty revival. And we pray for revival. We ask God to move because in our hearts, revival will see our loved ones saved. Revival will see a change in our land's nature. Indeed, we're told by Joel that the hearts of the fathers will be returned onto the children. Who doesn't want to see that? Who doesn't want to see where children are precious again in the sight of a land? Where wildlife has more laws passed to protect them than the unborn child. Where we have a nation that glorifies sin and detests the word of God. But what we do know is that God is in control. And so many of us are like Peter. We got out of the boat. We stepped out of the boat. We walked in faith and all of a sudden things didn't work out the way we expected. And you find yourself sinking. You find yourself embarrassed. You find yourself hurt. You find yourself questioning where did it all go wrong? And do you know what happens to the Christian who steps out? I've seen it so many times. They find it so hard to return. They find it so hard to do it again. Maybe you're like the disciples who stayed in the boat and watched Peter. You've seen Peter's story. You've seen Peter's situation unfold. And you know what? You go home and say, I'm never going to do that. And that's one of the tragedies in the Christian church today. Is very few want to step up. 
because they've either been hurt, they've seen someone be hurt. And one of the things that's happening right now is the nations are being shaken. They're the shaken of the world. They're not the shaken of the church because we are on the rock, Christ Jesus. And I want you to know that today. While Christ is shaking the world, yes, we will see it. We will feel it. We will be in part of it. But we have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. You see, he is the chief cornerstone. You cannot build. You can build anything. But if you're going to build something to last, it must have a chief cornerstone. And we have the chief cornerstone, whom Peter said, the chief cornerstone that you rejected to the house of Israel. He says to them, you rejected it. But we as the body of Christ are built upon Jesus Christ. Build your walk today in Jesus. Build your life on Jesus Christ. I say that as a way of introduction because we're going to read God's word. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and the verse 20. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went on to their home. We'll read that again. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman. For the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went on to their home. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank the Lord for your word and the authority of it. So, Lord, we just commit every thought, word, and deed. We ask you, Lord, have your way today. Open our hearts and open our minds. And may you, Lord, be glorified in every thought, word, and deed. In Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Samuel comes on the scene in a time when Israel is in a mess. You see, the Lord brought 400 years. The Lord was bringing his people out of Egypt. For 400 years, they were persecuted, tormented, destroyed. To the point they lost their identity. Do you know what a lot of people don't realize? For the next 400 years, God was trying to get Egypt out of his children. 400 years of trying to get that ideology. Do you know I've always found it's easier to sin than be a saint? Because we're born in the nature of sin. From the day a child's born, a child doesn't have to be taught how to be good. It's to be taught not to be bad. And it's in our nature But for some reason, when it comes to God's people, it is so hard. One of the the things that I always try to say to young converts, people who are just saved, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't be putting yourself that you're you're, you're putting, uh, and when you fail and you fall and you let yourself down, that you feel that you, you, you have to throw the towel in. You know, it's not how you fall, it's how you get back up. You see, them that are on the Lord's side, you will fall, you will have trials, you will disappoint yourself, you'll disappoint the Lord, you'll disappoint your family. But here's the thing, 
The, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Do you see your sins? Now this isn't a license to sin. But you were saved before you were even formed in your mother's womb. Had you sinned while you were in your mother's womb? No. Do you know what that shows me about my Lord? Every sin is under the blood of the Lamb. There is no sin greater than salvation. There is no sin that can separate us from the love of God. It can affect our walks. It can affect our lives. It can even affect our eternal reward. But it cannot affect our salvation. And you know, I want to encourage you today. If you're saved and you love the Lord. If you're his. You have an eternal security. Now I'm going to say this when I'm teaching this. I believe in once saved, always saved. But you have to be truly saved. I don't believe you can die in a backslidden state. I'll prove it to you. The lost sheep was what? Returned to the fold. The lost coin was found. In all the parables, none of them were lost. They were always returned to their owner. And I believe if you're saved and you love the Lord, that you'll not die in a backslidden state. Now, you can, Ken might want to get up next week and preach eternal salvation now. But that's what I believe. Because I know people out there and they're saying, oh, I made a confession years ago. I've seen it. Listen, we've all had to go through it. We've all done funerals. We've all been there. And you don't want to turn around to the loved ones and say, well, I don't know. But child of God, can I tell you something? If you're truly saved, and I'm saying that carefully, if you're truly saved, no one, no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. And here's where we'll come to. In Samuel's case here, Samuel come in the scene at the failure of Samson. Samson was told by the Lord that he would be the one to restore Israel. Samson didn't. Samson failed in what he was brought to do. And judge after judge after judge, failure after failure after failure, the house of God was in an absolute mess. Do you see if you read chapter 2 and you even read the verses 11 down, you'll actually see where uh, Eli's sons, Hapnaz and Phinehas, who were the priests, they were actually robbing God. When you would bring up your sacrifice to the house of God, you would bring up your meat and then you would roast the meat, boil the meat, cook the meat. And then when it was cooked and only when it was cooked, would they come with a three claw hook and they would take their portion out of it. But what they started to do was they started that when you would come up to cook it, they would grab it straight away and take the whole lump of meat. I don't know why they'd open a butcher's up the road or what they were doing, what they needed all this meat for. But what they were doing was they were playing with the word of God. They were playing with the law of God. Christian, can I encourage you to do something? Be careful with the things of God. Be really careful with the things of God. You know, Eli goes on to say in verse 25 of 1 Samuel 2, If one man sin against another, the judge shall be the judge of him. But if a man sin against the Lord... Who shall entreat for him? Be careful with the things of God. Samuel comes on the scene when the church was in a mess. The government was in a mess. 
The land was in a mess and nobody knew where they were coming and going. But the lovely thing about Samuel is, have you ever heard the saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rocks the world? Christians, bring your children up in the way of the Lord. Do you see if your wee ones are at home this morning playing the Xbox, waiting for you to go home, see next week? Blame me, say Pastor Tom says you're coming to church next week. And if they say I'm not going, just you say, I'll give you a slap round the back of the ear, you're coming. And you get them out into the house of God. You get them under the word of God. You get them to learn the principles of the things of God. And I tell you what, it'll never depart from them. It'll be the making of them. And Samuel's mother had a heart for God. Notice what I'm saying. Whenever she was in the house of God praying before Eli, it says he thought she was drunk because she didn't move her mouth. And when he went to her, she says, I don't pray from my mouth, I pray from my heart. That's how you really know when God is doing something, it gets deep into you, doesn't it? It really gets into your core. And Hannah, it was in her core, she wanted a child. But notice the definite article of Hannah. She just didn't want a child. She just didn't want a boy. She wanted a man for God. Listen, can I tell you something? In here today, there could be a child, there could be a teenager, there could be an adult, there could be a man, there could be a grandfather that God is preparing to save, to do a revival in this land. Do you realize that? Moses was 80 odd years of age. Samuel, I believe, was approximately eight years of age when he was brought into the temple. And why I believe he was eight years of age, that's when Samson died. I believe the Lord turned around. And why do I believe that? Because do you remember when Saul sinned? Do you remember Samuel come to Saul and says, Saul, God has a man whom he has chosen. Does anybody realize what age David was whenever Samuel gave that prophecy? He was a child. You see, God can see the man in us before we can see it. And God can see what he has for you before you'll ever know it. God knows the plans that he has for your life. He says, I know the plans. Do you know what's the problem with us? We don't want to know the plans. When Noah was building the ark, Noah was given blueprints. Noah wasn't just told, go out and cut a tree and start building an ark. He was told how to build it, why to build it, where to build it. He was given every principle of the ark. He was given the blueprint. He was given the plan. Christian, ask the Lord to show you his plan for your life. Ask the Lord to show you what he has for you. Because here's what the Lord says. He says, I know the plans. Do you know your plans? Do you know your ministry? Do you know your ability? Every one of us has a gift from God. Every single one of us here today has a talent. Have you buried your talent? Have you ignored your talent? See, in the New Testament church, I never talk about talents that I don't talk about Tabitha or Dorcas. She was the only one in the New Testament church the church wouldn't bury. Do you know why they wouldn't bury her? Because there's nobody who could nip like her. And that was her gift to the church. She would fix the wee one's clothes and she would fix their, their tops. And when Peter, when they went to the village next door and says, Peter, you need to come and raise her to, from dead. When Peter come, 
You know what they were all doing? They were showing Peter the, the, the garments that she had fixed. They were showing Peter what she had done. They weren't showing Peter where Peter, where John had been raising the sick from their, 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 their wheelchairs. No, they were showing their, the, the things that meant something to them. Can I tell you something? What's wrong with the churches? We've stopped. We've got out of touch. We've become so spiritual that we're no earthly use. We need to get back to basics. The first problem in the early church, does anybody know what it was? They fell out because of the dinner ladies. What did the Lord say to Peter? He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's sitting there like a big spoiled brat feeling sorry for himself. He says, do you, do, do, you, do you love me? Of course I love you. And then go and start feeding the sheep. Go and start doing something. You see, if we as a church and we as Christians want to do something, let me encourage you to do something today. The world's being rocked. The world is being shaken. The world is being led into a place. And in the Greek, it actually it means a cul-de-sac, where we get the French word cul-de-sac. No way out. The world is heading to a no way out. And there's only one way of a one way out. And that's up. And God is leading the church to its glorious, glorious place in eternity. He is leading the church that when there's all in the one way out and there's no one way out but up where God will use the church to start to lead men and women to him. I believe the Lord is coming back for his people. I believe the Lord is coming back for his people, Israel. I believe he's coming back for his nation. I'm being careful today. I could go off, but we'll stay in what we have here. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of the woman for the loan which thou has lent the Lord. Imagine the Lord needing a loan. Imagine the one who owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. Imagine the one who possesses it all. The earth is his, it's his footstool. And he comes to a wee woman in Ramah and he says, I need a loan. What if the Lord was to come to you this morning and say, I need your help? Would you do it? What if the Lord came and said, I need you. I need sacrificial love. I need sacrificial worship. I need sacrificial giving. Would you have it in you to do it? And I tell you what, I'm asking you as a question that we even while I'm asking it, I'm challenged. Would I? The word of God's a two-edged sword. Cuts me before it cuts you. You see, I know people and they've done it. And they're hurting. They're hurting deep. I know people who feel that God has let them down. I know people who feel that God has forgotten them. I want to promise you this morning that the Lord loves you and the Lord has not forgotten you. And here's Hannah who felt forgotten. Do you realize Hannah felt forgotten? 
Do you realize that when Hannah was in the temple before the Lord, she was crying unto the Lord because she felt she was forgotten by her husband? Felt she was forgotten by her God? Felt she was forgotten by the temple? And she cried unto the Lord. Listen, I have been in prayer meetings and I've prayed for the Lord to return because of being the most boring place I've ever been in. Because it's people praying the same prayers, the same repetitive nonsense. And do you know what all it is about being heard? Sideways prayers. But I've been in prayer meetings where I've seen people crying and praying from their hearts. And you've never wanted to leave that meeting because God is there. And you see, if we were to learn to pray to God from our hearts and stop praying to one another, revival would come a lot quicker. And Hannah learned how to pray from the heart. Hannah learned how to pray in the sore and the pain of her situation. And Hannah turned around, and here's, now I'm not going to encourage anybody to do this. She made a deal with the Lord. Do you know why I'm not going to encourage anybody to make a deal with the Lord? Because you don't want to break deals with God. You don't want to break covenants with God. So I'm not going to encourage that this morning. But she turned around to the Lord and says, you give me this man and I'll give him to you. I'll loan him to you. And it'll be yours for the rest of his life. Samuel comes into the scene and I want you to grab this. I truly mean this. This is one of the worst periods in the history of Israel. As a matter of fact, see if you go to chapter 3 in the verse 1. It says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. Do you know what that literally means? It was rare. Do you know the only times the Lord had appeared in the last 80 years? It was through a prophet to come to Eli and say, Eli, you need to get your house sorted out. Your sons are sinning against God. You know what Eli done? He ate of the meat because he became fat with the meat of the son's robbery. Isn't it easy to sit and be, you know, righteously, uh, uh, oh, such righteous indignation. But then in comes Hapnaz and Phineas with two big sirloin steaks, bangs them on the pan and you're sitting eating them with them. See, we all, we can be guilty of it. <laughs> okay, not sirloin sticks. I've made that too fancy for you. But they come in with a sacrifice and then they're sitting, and Eli's sitting eating off the same thing while he's saying to them, boys, you are sinning against God. That was the only time you read of where God moved, openly spoke, was to remind Eli, Eli, you're in trouble. And Eli done nothing about it. See, in closing this morning, I'm here to ask you, is there someone here this morning and you want to do something for God? Is there someone here this morning and you've got steel? Is there someone here this morning and you've been hurt? You've been let down? You can even feel that down by God. I never forget years ago, a lady in Whitewell, 
and her son was her daughter was Dan. She was very close to her daughter. And the daughter got cancer. And as any church, you'll pray and you'll look for the healing. Didn't get the healing. Do you know what she done? She says, my daughter's in hell. And I'm going to hell to be with my daughter. And walked out. And she got her wish. So hurt. So disappointed. So frustrated. I never forget that. That, to me, sobered me. Because in the church, we just think, you know, the, the, the Lord's so great, so wonderful, so forgiven, that people can just do things like that. But she never came back, and she died in that state. Oh, Tom, you just said once saved, always saved. I did. But I did tell you, I don't believe you can die in a backslidden state. I've seen things like that time and time again. I've seen people and their marriages and I've seen situations that was nothing to do with them. No fault of their own. Them the victims. And I mean truly the victims of someone else's sins. I've seen the pain. I've seen the hurt. I've seen the anguish. I've seen the disappointment. I've seen it so many times. And you may be here and you may be saying, well, Tom, where's the encouragement in all this this morning? Where's the building up of the body of Christ in this message? You see, I'm telling you this in closing. When Eli pray, whenever Eli prays this prayer over Hannah, he says that the Lord bless thee for the loan which thou hast lent to him. See in the Hebrew that for the, the loan. It's a Hebrew and it means this. That the Lord bless thee for that petition which you protested of the Lord. Hannah come to the Lord. And here's what Hannah literally done. We learn this through this Hebrew word. We learn one thing about Hannah's prayer. She came to the Lord and she says, I'm not leaving until you bless me. I'm not letting go until you bless me. Do you remember somebody else says, I'm not letting go until you bless me? Who was it? Jacob. Do you know the interesting thing, and I wasn't going to bring this in, but I'm going to use it as my closing point. Do you know it's a sad thing? We're fighting God. And we're fighting the blessing of God. Do you know God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed? So do you ever read where Jacob was fighting in Peniel with the angel? Does anybody know why he was fighting with the angel? Why would you fight with Jesus? And by the way, it was Jesus. I don't believe in theophanies. I believe that Christ was the everlasting, the beginning and the last. Theophanies are cover up theology for Jesus Christ. He's the before, he's the Alpha and the Omega. When he came... They call it the angel of the Lord. It was Jesus. And Jesus came to Jacob. And Jacob didn't recognize. And he started to fight with the Lord. And you've been fighting with the Lord. And you've been wrestling with the Lord. Does anybody know why Jacob was fighting with the Lord? 
He thought it was Esau. It was in the dark of the night and Esau was over the hill. And Jacob was so focused on Esau that when the Lord come to him, he didn't recognize that it was the Lord and he started to fight with the Lord because he thought it was Esau come to kill him. And you know, the Lord, maybe you've been wrestling with the Lord. Maybe the Lord's been in a situation and maybe the Lord has come to you and you haven't realized that it's the Lord and you've been fighting with him and wrestling with him. Do you know when Jacob actually started to realize that it was the Lord? He fought all night. You thought he would have caught on a bit quicker than that. It was only when the light of day started to shine that he seen the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and he realized this isn't Esau. I've been fighting with my own shadow. I've been fighting against the very one who came to save me. I've been fighting against the very one who was there all along. Even when I thought it was Esau trying to kill me, the Lord was there. And so too it was. And this is what I've been trying to get across. Do you know I didn't do notes for this this morning? I says, Lord, I don't know how. Actually, this is true, Bill. I says, Lord, I don't know how I'm closing this message. And I'll trust you to help me close it. And he's given it to me for I'm going to prove it to you. It was only when the light of day came that Jacob realized who it was. And notice what happens. The Lord who had took a hold of Jacob in the night, now Jacob has took a hold of him. And the Lord says, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not letting go because there's been a turning point. There's been a paradigm shift. There's been a change that's come along. And I'm praying to God this morning that something's happening this morning where all of a sudden you realize all the things that has been happening, all that's been going on, hasn't been Esau, hasn't been cancer, hasn't been divorce, hasn't been sickness, hasn't been death, but it's actually been the Lord wakening you up to shake you, to open your eyes. And it was only when the light of day came into Jacob's scene that he realized who it was. It was only when the light of God's word shines in that you realize what God wants from you. And Jacob took a hold of the Lord. And now we see the Lord. Tables are turned. The Lord's saying, I need to go. Jacob's saying, no, you're not going. You're not going until you bless me. You're not going. You're not leaving me. And do you know what's the lovely thing about it? The most beautiful thing about it is the Lord never left him. And so many of you think the Lord has left you. And so many of you think that you've... Do you know, I've learned this in the church. Suits and big Bibles will never really cover up pain. And in the church today, we put on the suits and we carry our Bibles and we hide behind the smiles. But the truth is, there's more people sitting in churches today who need a touch from God. And they're afraid to say it. They're afraid to admit it. And I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. I'm not going to make you. But I know one thing. I want a touch from God this morning. Just one touch from the king. 
They're queuing in their tens. There are hundreds of thousands to see Queen Elizabeth's coffin. One touch from King Jesus will change it all. And if he touches you this morning, if he takes a hold of you this morning, if he does something precious in you this morning, it'll last with you for all eternity. I'm going to throw one boomerang in this morning. Do you know how much God touched Jacob? See our King Charles? Pray for him. Pray for him. There's two types of kings in the Bible. There's those who went the way of the Lord. And there's those who done evil. May he be, may he turn to the ways of the Lord. He needs a touch from God. That stone, the stone of scone, is known as the stone of destiny. And if you don't want to believe People have a problem believing theology, theologians when it comes to things like this, but they'll believe the world. Okay, if you don't want to believe me, but on the History Channel on TV, and I'll tell you who the Stone of Scone is. It's Jacob's pillow. The kings of Israel all had to do a salt covenant. There's only one king or queen ever takes a salt covenant. It's the Queen of Britain. I'm going to tell you something. Ken will never have my back for this. John 21, do you remember before the Lord ascended into heaven and he was on the shore cooking the fish? John 21 and 22, I'm hoping I'm right. John 21 and 22 says that they pulled the, the, the fish ashore. Does anybody know how many fish was in the net? 153. I'm very blessed to have one of the greatest Bible historians with me in Maranatha. <laughs> Phenomenal mind. And I remember I was preaching on the 153 fish. Everybody, when it comes to Bible and numbers, always loves to be an expert. And I was preaching on Elohim and the numbers and how it was God. And he come to me afterwards. We passed her. And he says, Tom, he says, just something to think about. He says, in the throne of David, from King David to Queen Elizabeth. Guess what number Queen Elizabeth was on the throne of David? 153. Fish speaks of monarchy. What worries me about Charles, I believe we're now in the borrowed period before the Lord's return. Because I believe the Lord's coming back for an earthly throne. Psalm 89 Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 down. Read it for yourself. It's a little throne. He's not bringing a throne. He's coming to a throne. And I believe, and please listen to me carefully. You can agree with my theology. You can disagree with it. But I believe with all my heart that the Lord is coming very, very soon. And I believe the greatest danger 
to our land is that Charles gives it to the heathen God. And it's already. He wanted to proclaim that he would be the defender of faiths. He's been told you will not be king. They have told him. I know this for 100%. He's already had to do a swear. And he was told before he done it, you're not allowed to swear to be the, the defender of faiths. But the sad thing is this week in Cardiff, they prayed the prayer to the God of Islam. Listen. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Because our God is in control. And our God has a plan. And here's what we need. We need men and women who know the heart of God. Who are able to stand up in these times and declare the truth. But the greatest truth that we can declare is that Jesus is coming. And he's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as the lamb. He'll not be riding a donkey this time. You see, the donkey as a king speaks of peace. That's why he rode the donkey. The donkey was an emblem of peace. If a king was riding a donkey, he'd come to say, I'm not coming to make war. Guess what he's coming back on? He's coming back on a horse. And I see when he's coming back on that horse, he's coming back to make war with the enemies of God. And there is no God like our God. You see, he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And listen, at his command, every knee, every knee will bow. Every tongue of the heathen, the Gentiles, the godless, the atheists will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will appoint. That's why we're not to judge one another. That's why we're not to go to the courts. The Bible says that you're not to take a brother and a sister to court. Do you know why that's the case? He says, how will you judge the world when you've allowed the world to be your judge? Do you know what he's going to come back and do? He's going to appoint his people to be helpers and rulers. And he's going to turn around and say, Tom, you're now the new dinner lady. (laughs) You were going to be Lord Mayor of Armagh until you started cooking. And he'll say, Glenn, you're going to be over the drivers. You're going to sort these laws out. And he's going to, this is what he's going to do. He's going to, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when a president's ordained and a queen, they, they appoint, they appoint people. That's what the, 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 especially in America, they sit down and they appoint their chief of staff and they do this. That's what the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lord's going to appoint, just as he sat down with Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. That's what the marriage supper is going to be. And he's going to be appointing the people. And that's why he says, unto those have done most, will be given most. There's some of us going to be at that marriage supper trying to climb under the table. So I'm saying this in closing. I'm encouraging you. And I don't want to hold you up. But listen to me this morning. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to try and get you to realize you have a future. You have an authority. You have an opportunity this morning to do something for God. Something wonderful. Something great. When it's all fallen apart, along come a boy called Samuel who was loaned by his mummy to the Lord. Will you give the Lord a loan this morning? Will you loan yourself to him? 
Will you loan your, your, your finances, your time? Will you bring it to him this morning and say, here it is, Lord. I'm not asking anybody to come to me after the meeting and say, Tom, I felt led to be a missionary in, in Afghanistan. If you come to me with that one, I'll say, here, you need to go and see Ken. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about challenging yourself to do something for the Lord. Do my favor this week, right? Challenge yourself to do one thing this week that you haven't done for the Lord, maybe in a long time, or you haven't never done at all. Will you just do that for me? Step out and do something for him. Whether it be write someone a wee letter, whether it be do something, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Do that. Allow yourself to get out of your comfort zone. I'll tell you what, I'm even thinking to myself, what could I do? People think pastors have it all worked out and we do it all. Let me tell you something. We can all become complacent and familiar. Take this week, take this opportunity. How many people see this morning? A couple of hundred people. See if every one of you was to do something in this area out of your norm for the Lord. Do you know what people start to say? There's something happening in Guildford and around Portadown and Banbridge. God's starting to move. Do you know why God's starting to move? God doesn't work outside of his body. You know that. Guess what you are? You're his hands. You're his feet. He's the head. The Jews are the body that he works through. Do you know what happens when you stop working? God stops working. Because he's no one to work through. Let him work through you this morning. Let him work through you this week. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll even do it with you. I'll think of something. And we'll all do something this week. And if any of you want to give Ken a, a Norway holiday. So there you go. And, and Ken can take me with him. So there you go. Bless you. God bless. Thanks for having me.